Dr. Amalia Gonyas Malka. Welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Joining us today is South Africa's ambassador to Ireland, Yulisa Meyer, who took up this appointment in 2019. Welcome to the show, Ambassador. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Dr. Malaya. I'm really honored to be on your show. Ambassador, you're joining us now from Ireland and your career with the Department of International Relations and Cooperation has seen you serve as Deputy Director General for Americas and Europe regions. And currently, as I said, you are South Africa's Ambassador to Ireland. Please, can you share with us a few of the landmarks in your career which have had the biggest impact on you? Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Amalia. You know, my experiences start before I was appointed uh, Deputy Director General. When I was appointed an advisor to the stunningly brilliant Minister of Health then, who subsequently became the Minister of Foreign Affairs and thereafter the Minister of Home Affairs, a true servant of the people, Dr. Nkosa Zanajamini Zuma. I was going to say, I think I can guess who that is. Um, you know, she's a strict disciplinarian, focused, dedicated, and results-driven, and you dare not slack on the job when you're working with her. That is where my journey really started. I came into the new democratic government after serving in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, and that's where I met her, where I gained a renewed respect for the resilience and forgiving spirit of the people of South Africa, in spite of the deep pain and loss they had suffered. You know, I'm mentioning this because I'm sure I would not be where I am right now if I had not started my journey as an advisor to Dr. Jamini Zuma then. As a ministerial advisor, I found myself at the high table with leaders of the world, experiencing them sharing strategies and insights informing the geopolitics of the world. So in this current position, I presented my letters of credence to the president of Ireland, His Excellency Michael D. Higgins in April 2019, and experienced the seriousness of my assignment when he set me opposite him and asked me critical questions about the purpose of my presence in Ireland, what I expected to achieve for my country and why, and what I expected the Irish to support me with. I think when I left home, I had a, a fair sense of what my, the expectation was from my employer, from my principals, regarding the 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 post that they were sending me to perform in in Ireland. But when the president set me opposite him and asked me those questions, I really started to think very deeply. The most important thing at the moment is leading a team of embassy colleagues and learning together to navigate the uncharted terrain of COVID-19 and its repercussions and impact on South African families and individuals living and working in Ireland. It, it has been and continues to be a very painful time 
COVID has had massive ramifications on every single person's life. I don't think anyone has been untouched. You were mentioning that when you presented your letters of credentials, that the, the president had asked you, what were your expectations and what were your intentions? Can you unpack some of that detail for us? Yes, you know, Ireland treats um, its uh, heads of missions with uh, the utmost respect. As soon as you have handed your letters to the president, you are then pulled aside to sit with the president. He brings with him certain ministers, cabinet ministers, who he believes in his understanding of what your country stands for would be the best people to guide the conversation. So you are not just sitting with the president, you are sitting with members of his cabinet and also the chief of staff in his office. So he asks you these questions and you have to tell him why you believe you are in Ireland. So I had to share with him what the vision of my country is. Um, for the relationship between South Africa and Ireland. You know that we have a long history. We have a, a good understanding of each other's political agendas. But now on the matters on the table, bread and butter issues, cultural issues, I had to be very clear. Remember our current administration was quite new at that moment. We were moving into the, the terrain of the new dawn of Tumamina. So I had to unpack those things for him and tell him what they mean for our country, that uh, we are in the process of regenerating and reviving our country's agenda, especially the economic agenda. As one politician once said, uh, business or economics love politics. So you must make sure that there is a, a serious and firm connection between business and your politics. Because the moment business thinks your, your political principles are not in support of what you are doing, they pull back. They want to be sure. They want certainty. Diplomatic relations are so important and it's crucial to the functioning of our global world and, and global economy. When I was yes. preparing for the show, I was mm. amazed at how many female diplomats that we have from a South African perspective. And mm -hmm. one thing I wanted to ask you is that there definitely seems to be an increase in feminization of government services around the world. What's your yes. opinion on, on why this is? You know, clearly, there, there is a growing realization that women workforces at all levels offer a quality return on investment. I'm saying this from experience because I have experienced that where an employer is serious about getting difficult issues tackled and get the job done, women are invariably chosen for various reasons including that women are known to be driven and disposed to fearlessly tackling issues when they believe they are doing the right thing. Diplomacy is, uh, I, I, I thought it was a fluffy, cozy job where you 
rub shoulders with royalty and high-profile politicians. But it is a a painstaking um, job or assignment where you must make sure that you are not only understanding of the task before you, but you are intuitive as well. And you know what each situation, each circumstance is calling for. That is what women do best. We, we are not just empathetic as we are seen to be, but we are intuitive and we are driven. You know, I, I also say we women are active listeners. And that makes us better armed to mobilize our teams and therefore that makes us more productive. I believe those are some of the reasons why there are more and more women in, in the diplomacy space, especially as heads of missions. Talking about some of yes. those qualities, I recall vividly when we had the opportunity to interview Dr. Nkosasana Dlamini Zuma, that one of the things that she spoke about as qualities of women and an approach that she applied was very much a, a consultative approach, um, inclusive, hearing everybody's points of view before making a concrete decision. Um, you know, I, I would agree with that sentiment. I, I believe that women are more consultative, more inclusive. For some reason, it could be because of the, the maternal instinct in, in us, in saying that um, I am not uh, minimizing the role of my male counterpart. But, you know, I, I believe that women find it easier to consult, to be inclusive. We are not scared of competition. We are not scared of voicing our uncertainty when we are not certain of, of the answers. We know that we don't know everything, and that's very important. It's key to recognize uh, that you don't know everything so that you can tap into the resources around you, whether your team, your close team, or your colleagues around you. So that's one very important quality that I'm seeing even in other women ambassadors where I am. And in your line of work, I imagine you do extensive traveling to different countries. Based on yes. your observations and engagements with other ambassadors and, and particularly women in leadership, which countries mm-hmm. do you think are effectively addressing gender inequalities? And what are some of the best lessons that we can take from them to ensure that more countries get onto the right track? You know, without singling countries out for special mention, I I would just like to emphasize that in all the regions of the world where I have traveled, be it on our African continent, the Americas, including the Caribbean, or Europe, there are some countries to be commended for their efforts at effectively addressing gender inequalities. However, I've been equally dismayed to see how some countries elsewhere that we continue to praise 
for their efforts, believing that they are doing much more than we are as a country and as the continent, are in fact not doing as much as some of us in Africa. All I'm saying is that all the regions of the world have a few or certain areas of excellence. But what I have observed is that countries that are serious about gender equality or creating avenues for gender equality are intentional about doing that. It doesn't look accidental. It doesn't look contrived. It's, it's intentional. Their policies, their advocacy initiatives, their inclusivity initiatives to make sure that no one is left behind. I think we are doing a good job. We could do much better than we are at the moment, but we could do more. I just want to end by saying, when we talk about gender inequality, we tend to focus at certain levels of women only. And I believe that we should start from the ground up and then tackle the task because it is a huge task from all directions. Rural women, women in the townships, illiterate women, semi-illiterate women. The, this, this job, this task is still very, very big. As I said, we're doing a lot, but we could do more. I'm not worried about the legal side of things. We, we, I'm comfortable that we have ratified all the conventions. We have acceded to all or maybe most of the international statutes. But what remains is for us to popularize those instruments as widely as possible to make sure that the, the impact and importance permeates through at all levels to all women and that we don't leave anyone behind. That's an excellent point, absolutely. And gender inequality touches every single sphere of a woman's life, whether she is rural, whether she is urban, um, whether she is in poverty, whether she is uh, possibly to a less extent more, more affluent, but it affects everybody and it should be attended to or attacked at once. It can't be something that happens in one area and then moves to another population group. It's, it's got to be all-encompassing. Hi, I'm Zonke Digana, a South African Afro-Soul musician, songwriter and producer. You are listening to Womanity, Women in Unity on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Today, we're talking to the South African ambassador to Ireland, Yulisa Meyer. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Ambassador in July, we celebrate the birth month of President Nelson Mandela, who was a great feminist. And in one of his Women's Day speeches dating back to 1996, he said, as long as outmoded ways of thinking prevent women from making a meaningful contribution to society, progress will be slow. As long as the nation refuses to acknowledge the equal role of more than half of itself, it is doomed to failure. 
And I think that that quote really resonates with this, the statement that you made earlier regarding gender inequality spread across the width and breadth of the nation. Female role models in society are important sources of influence in the way that women see themselves, how they identify with these individuals to emulate them, and also indeed how men perceive women. Thinking on the political side of things on the continent, we've had Ellen Johnson Sirleaf from Liberia, uh, Joyce Banda, Malawi, Amina Garib Fakim, Mauritius, Pumzile uh, Mlabo Nuka, UN Women, um, recently sworn in Tanzania President Samia Sulukha Hassan, and Sakhale Work Zawad as being the president of Ethiopia. How do you see the role of female leadership? Well, that's a very big one for me. You have mentioned a lot of powerful and impactful women, but um, I would like to add just two, my two favorite ones, Mewangari Matai and also Mengozi Okonjo Iweila. I would like to include them. There, there are many, many others. And there are many more in the middle strata. For me, it's not just the, the role modeling that is so important for younger women. It's also the mentoring, but also the championing. It's important for us to be champions for each other's successes because role models could be far. People could look at them and emulate them. But it's possible for some of us to reach across the aisle and pull someone up, mentor those people, those young women who so sorely need that mentoring and also champion their cause to make sure that they get into all these spaces, especially non-traditional spaces, so-called. It's not enough. And certainly no longer fashionable to say, you know, I am the first woman that, or I am the only woman this and that. I am more comfortable in the presence of other women around me at all levels. So it, it would really, really work for us if we were to learn to trust other women more, to empower each other or one another more, to make sure that we see each other more and not just acknowledge that, oh, there are young women who need support, but really just walk the talk to make sure that more and more young women in particular rise to their full potential. Otherwise, we are, con we are going to continue to be left behind. I normally make an example, but I emphasize on it, especially when my mean streak comes to the surface, that our male counterparts support each other through thick and thin. They play sports together, they drink beer together, they go to soccer or rugby matches together, and we don't. 
So it's important that we, we create spaces that enable us to nurture one another and pull each other up as some of us rise. It's not enough to be just a role model. We must be much more than that. Ambassador, how do you think we can formalize some of those network structures? Because it's exactly what you're saying. If you are on the sports field, if you have your golf buddies, these are all networks that have been established and they are bonding elements that people look out for one another. Could be, I I saw this job and I thought of you. And that's how uh, it's the sort of social capital mixes around and that is the power of networks. So in your view, how can we formalize female networks so that they are not just um, social networks, but have something which is constructive and can really contribute to their careers? It's important that uh, we, we don't start by giving things names. I am now expressing myself in my language and then uh, translating into English. You know, when we give things names, people might be tempted to feel they don't belong, will stay back. For instance, if we say we're creating such and such a club or such and such a social gathering, people that we need most to be part of those spaces might hang back and say, oh, but I don't have this. I don't belong to this club. I don't belong to this space. So what is important for me is to just get up and do things. Invite people as you go along and make a habit of doing that. You can then name that gathering once it strengthens once it gains momentum, when you have the critical mass of the people and personalities that you want in there, you can then start naming whatever it is that you are in. This may not make sense immediately, but what really keeps people away from us as women is the fact that we have a tendency of giving ourselves names instead of just being buddies, just being a collection, a loose formation of women trying to have fun and out of that fun extracting critical lessons for each other, sharing your wisdom, your experiences, and just inviting the least expected to make themselves known, to strengthen their voice within those formations. You know, I I grew up in the rural former Transkei homeland and my father made it his business to make sure that all of us, those who were away at schools, boarding schools, universities, to have a gathering over Christmas, that week between Christmas and New Year, to have sports activities, to have singing or music activities, just play games with each other to cross-pollinate. And in that way, even 
not so privileged young people from the communities know that they can reach out to this one or that one. When they want assistance with this, they want some information, they want a pair of shoes even, they're able to reach out to you because you are one of them, you play with them when you are available. So it, it's important that we open ourselves up and make sure that we interact, we cross-pollinate, and then down the line, we can start naming the formations in the way we want ourselves to be seen. I think that with yes. these points, you've really emphasized this aspect of informal networks, of at the same time, having that social connection and being able to build bonds and trade social capital amongst individuals in a way which is non-threatening in an environment which is inclusive and community-driven. But at the same time, you've also spoken about the importance of mentorship, of being able to mentor up-and-coming younger women so that they are groomed and that they are not left standing on their own, not knowing what to do. And importantly, like you said, it is no longer fashionable to be saying, I am the first woman, I am the only woman. It is about bringing women up behind you. Very important for me. And, you know, I, I think I, I was lucky and advantaged in many ways because although my mother was a, a nurse in her time, she was very steeped in the community. She introduced what used to be known then as the YWCA, the Young Women's Christian Association. But because I come from a but then predominantly illiterate society, which is now very vibrant with kids in all sorts of professions. Back then, that was rare. So my mother made it her business to mentor young women, especially recently married young women who came to a new community, taught them how to cook, to bake, to sew. She used to knit and crochet quite a lot and do embroidery. And in doing that, she made sure that these young women learned and taught others and then she receded to the background. As we were growing up, there they used to be competitions in my village where I come from, where people would compete with what they had sewn. They, they graduated making wedding dresses and church uniforms for each other. So this mentoring thing has stuck with me since then. And that is why when I'm back home, I make sure that I walk amongst the people, I interact with the people so that people know that wherever you are, you are still one of them. This remains very, very key in my life even now. Hi, this is Lira, South African Afro-Soul singer and songwriter. 
You're listening to Womanity, Women in Unity, presented by Dr. Amelia Malka on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, a program that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggle for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, and democracy. Today, we're talking to the South African ambassador to Ireland, Yulisa Meyer. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Ambassador, you've shared an insight in terms of your your upbringing and coming from a rural community. You went on to qualify as an advocate and you attained various legal qualifications from University of Johannesburg, Swane University of Technology, and earned your LLB from Walter Sasuda University. Please tell us what role would you say education has played in your life? Well, um, by the way, in South Africa, there's a difference between an advocate and attorney. I'm an admitted attorney with uh, more than 25 years post-admission experience. And I always refer to myself as a lawyer, as opposed to an advocate. Um, I don't want to get myself into trouble. <laughs> but, Thank you for uh, correcting me. <laughs> indeed. You know, education does a lot of things. Um, and, and this is what I've experienced. In my case, it has taught me self-belief, believing in myself. It has given me self-confidence, knowing that you can compete with anyone, anywhere. The moment you have that education, you know that you are equal to people who would otherwise be out of your reach. It makes you believe that you don't have to be dependent And so you don't have to be owned. You don't have to be someone's this or that. You can be your own person whilst you don't lose your sense of self. So it it broadens your horizons and it always broadens your worldview because with education, you also get exposure And once you get a taste of that exposure, you don't stop learning. So it's uh, very important that young women in our day are really encouraged to get into education. It does not have to be formal, lofty education for starters, because it's not all our parents who can take us through education. For instance, for most of my education, I was already working and I was paying my own fees. I was paying my way through whatever education I wanted to get. So the moment you get that first taste of education, you don't stop learning. You don't stop competing in a positive way to make sure that you continue to develop and in developing you develop those around you as well. And in a way, what I've always found is that you realize as you learn, the more that you learn, the more that you don't know and how much more there is to know. That is very true. And the more you realized just how much you don't know, you want to know more. And in getting to know more, you know what this can do for others. And I, I always pray and hope that 
more and more of us can have that spirit of sharing, of wishing for the next person what you have always wished for yourself and your loved ones, of knowing that what has benefited you and made you so comfortable in what you do, what you are, would be good for the next person as well. And this is why I believe so much, even in the work that I'm doing in Ireland, in, in forming or forging partnerships between institutions of learning here and institutions of learning at home, especially in the technology space, to make sure that our young people benefit, skill themselves, or those who are skilled and feel they are not sufficiently skilled to reskill themselves or upskill themselves and just re-engineer the, their way of seeing and doing things. You know, technology skills these days are the key ways of doing things, technology-driven entrepreneurship, for instance. So education for me is the key, especially for young women, especially for our youth. Thank you for sharing that uh, sentiment. We absolutely advocate education as a tool of empowerment for women on this program. And we've seen it in, in countless examples of the women that we've interviewed that most times they wouldn't be where they are today if it wasn't for their education that has helped get them to, to this particular position or place. Ambassador, we are unfortunately running out of time in our show today. So if I could please ask you as we close off the conversation to share a few words of inspiration, which you'd like to pass on to girls and women who are listening to us on the continent. I'm a rural girl at heart, born, brought up in the deep rural confines of the former homeland of the former trans guy. But I am where I am today because of self-belief. So believe in yourself and own your space. Where you are, make a mark. Don't doubt or second guess yourself. Once you take a decision, follow through, develop yourself. Don't stop learning. Don't be afraid to be imperfect as well. Some of us wait for perfect moments for the time that you will have enough money. We never get enough of those things until you get into the thick of doing things. Just decide, implement your decision, and move forward. Ask questions. Be curious. Be prepared to learn and don't be afraid to fall, but always get up and continue on your forward journey. One of the most critical things I, I normally share with young women around me is that young women must remove some words from their vocabulary, especially disempowering words about themselves and other women. It is when you see value in other women that you begin to see value in yourself. We must remove words like, no, I can't. You know, I come from. You know, I don't have. All those things. Someone told me that women normally feel compelled to explain themselves. Someone will pay you a compliment. Oh, you have such a beautiful dress on. 
and you will want to tell them where you bought it and how much it cost you. You are second guessing yourself. You are saying to the next person, I'm not worthy of this dress. If you think it's expensive, it's actually not. We must stop using vocabulary that is disempowering us. Be kind to yourself. And that is different from feeling sorry for yourself. Sometimes we beat ourselves down too much. Just be kind to yourself. Give yourself a bit of space. Cut yourself a bit of slack. You must know that you are capable. And when you give yourself that space, you will be able to breathe and move forward. Grab opportunities that come your way. But most importantly, create your own opportunities and keep going. Don't be stuck on where you come from or where you are. Just look forward and keep going. So self-belief for me is very, very important. Once you have told yourself who you are and what you want, nothing can stop you. Not poverty, not joblessness, not your roots. Look forward and move. You will find people invariably who identify the best in people who see the best in themselves. I, I think those are the words I, I would like to share with my sisters and daughters who may be listening to this show. Those are wise words indeed. Thank you very much for sharing them. And thank you for talking to us today on the show. It's been a pleasure to host you. Thank you, Dr. Amalia. It has been an honor for me. We wish you every success in the rest of your term in Ireland, and we hope and pray that um, COVID-19 works its way out of the universe. Thank you very much. The same prayer coming from me. Thanks a lot and have a good day. You have been listening to Womanity, Women in Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective. And we have been talking to South Africa's ambassador to Ireland, Yulisa Meyer. 